Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Years ago, H.G. Wells visualized roads such as these in his science fiction fantasies. And today they're a reality. You're listening to The Afternoon Commute. John Adams. Welcome to the Afternoon Commute with Chris Kendall and John Adams. Today is September 20th, 2016. If you'd like to hear previous episodes of the Afternoon Commute, you can go to hoaxbusterscall.com. You'll see those posted up there alongside the most recent episode of Chris's Monday Night Broadcast, the original Hoaxbusters Call. Also posted up there are various articles and videos, some of those original in nature, so make sure you check those out. For any and all things Hoaxbusters, go to hoaxbusterscall.com today. Mr. Kendall, how are you, sir? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. Got some new hours here at work that I am currently dealing with, but it does not stop the afternoon commute. The afternoon commute stops for no man. <laughs> That's correct. And uh, speaking of uh, men, we have another man with us today on the show. The call, the broadcast, the podcast. And that is our good friend uh, from afar, a friend to the podcast. His name is Dr. Hans Utter. He joined us. Uh, I think this will be like his fourth or fifth time being with us. Um, but we always enjoy uh, the conversation. I actually enjoy listening to all of Dr. Utter's uh, stuff, whatever he's on, whether it's with uh, Jan Irvin or whether it's with uh, Tim Kelly or um, whoever else that I've heard him on with. He, um, he always uh, has very interesting things to say. He seems to be a well-rounded uh, guy, and he is a well-rounded guy. In fact, he's a musician, and he has uh, four new CDs available right now. You can go check that out at HansUtter.com, and uh, check out some of his music. And um, and uh, Hans, what's the uh, what's the blog? I, I, I have you know I have it on my phone, so I never actually look at what the um what what the name of it is. What's what's your blog? Okay, it's mindcontrolmusic.wordpress.com. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I'm in the process. I've added some, a bunch of new stuff on there. I'm starting to. Um, I've got several writing projects that are backlogged, but I have my book is is there, um, and that's going to be coming out. So I'll be. Serializing that and, uh, yeah, just kind of continuing the, the journey into the wonderful world of our contemporary society. Right. Yes. Well, it is a wonderful world. That is true. Um, but the postmodernist world, uh, that's another thing. Um, and, uh, we had a discussion about this, uh, postmodernism in architecture, art, and things like that. And we're going to continue that um, and touch on music. I think we'll just 
we'll have a postmodernist discussion about postmodernism. It'll be all encompassing. Um, uh, but yeah, Chris and I have uh, have been uh, have a series called uh, "The Untold History of Punk Rock." We're now into the third part of it, and um, Doctor Utter has yet to listen to those. But um, it, this is going to kind of be an addendum to that because really that era, these 1970s. Um, is the, I'd say it's like the movement from postmodernism into full-blown deconstructive culture. It's just the de, it's the, it's the removing of the rug out from under the people. Uh, and, um, Dr. Arter, do you, do you believe that philosophically speaking that, um, that people need, people need philosophy and they need art? It's kind of, and and that um, that for the most part in in modern American society we've had like uh, we've had like a simulation of philosophy and a simulation of art and that's kind of been the substitute for quite a while and um, I think with people like myself and Chris and you and others that we uh, interview or talk to uh, we're trying to get back to that old idea of actually having real philosophy and real art. Yeah, well, I think that this, um, I'm going to touch on several points you mentioned, and I would say that I think that I would look, um, in terms of an analysis for the movement towards the quote-unquote post-modernity, um, you know, we have we have a transformation um First of all, you have the usurpation of a number of types of arts, right? So just in terms of the the ending of streams of development, um, so what we have is the, the interjection, the suppression, the manipulation, the mutation, you could say the genetic modification of organic – uh, social cultural movements and examples of that would be, you know, you look at the 19th century, um, in Western classical music, you have a, you know, very diverse developments. You have a very strong move towards musical nationalism, which was linked very much with the nation state, uh, but in the nation state as well as a nation state that's not the um, nation state as say America, which is in sort of an open border prison, uh, so well, psychic prison to a certain extent, but, but the nation state as something that's celebrating, uh, the heritage, celebrating traditions, uh, folk, but also progressing, creating new types of developments. Um, and this should be distinguished from the music under Stalin, which was the based on the, the predicates of social realism, which is creating um, social, ethnic, cultural identities that are completely fixed and frozen in time and strictly bounded, right? So you're actually, um, this could be analogous, say, to the um, identities of people participating in various types of subcultures, right? Rock subcultures and things like that. So you're stepping into a pre-constructed identity. But, um, you look at the, the, you know, development in musical harmony, you have like Scriabin, Debussy, of course, Wagner, 
just fantastic composer. Uh, but all these composers were drawing upon the the bedrock, right, of of a cultural grounding. Um, and this will this will tie in a little bit later when I talk about like psychosocial alchemy. But the bedrock or grounding of a culture, um, which can be described as sort of a, a cultural collective unconscious, whatever you want to uh, term it, um, and that was disrupted by the interjection of atonal 12-tone music, Dada. Um, so in a sense, if you look at postmodernity, when you ha- we talked about Dada last time, um, you know, Dada, the idea is that the wars and everything that has happened, even more pronounced after World War II, but certainly around the turn of the century, uh, culture is rendered meaningless. Culture itself no longer has any value. And so somehow by destroying what culture you have, by deconstructing it, you, you know, you, you create a, a type of freedom, right? So to speak, which is obviously not true. But so in that case, you had this interjection of, um, from these, you know, music that was not only classical, that required a level of intellectual acuity, a level of, uh, moral, spiritual refinement to listen to, right? transformed into or basically being shunted into, um, you know, 12-tone music, which we've talked about a bit, but 12-tone music takes the harmonic structures and turns them into these mathematical formulae. And so at the same time, you're destroying the the mass audience for the music. You're um, you're taking away its, its, its grounding in a culture that people relate to, and you're interjecting this art that's only – you know, intelligible to a small percentage of the population. We may have talked about this before, but this is well funded by the CIA, as was the abstract movement in art, right? So what we have, we were talking about music and philosophy, the importance of this idea um, of music, which many people considered music to be a very refined experience, right? Yeah, I'd say... um what you have process of life over the centuries. So this kind of was a bit you could describe as a popular music. When you move into the more refined cultural levels, um, but yet that are still open, right, to the the population, at least those that choose to um, take the time and develop themselves to experience it. Um, with the interjection of 12-tone, with the destruction of, of realist painting schools that developed over centuries, um, you know, putting many people out of business, um, dominating the academy, um, professorships that are controlled, and so the people teaching um, composition are teaching 12-tone music, which is, it's not only mentally disturbing, it's actually, it is actually predicated upon a destruction of the social order in that the harmon- the harmony, the movement of harmony and stuff as a representation of society, this is a complete annihilation of that and re- but it's also sort of like genetic manipulation. You're, you're going beyond any kind of rules of music and, and developing your own sort of mathematical coordinates, right? So uh, in terms of the importance of philosophy and art, I mean, art is a way to understand the world to understand yourself, to develop yourself, to, to add, I mean, uh, you know, add, add color, add beauty, add joy, have, have a way to connect with the world, have a way for self-expression, personal expression, you know, so it's, it's fundamentally important. Um, in philosophy, 
um, where you have the removal of, you know, the traditional learning and especially the Greek learning and things like that um, from school systems, people are literally without any ground. They're without any frame to understand what is actually happening to them. They're unable to conceptualize it and they're unable to realize that these the types of philosophical systems that are being imposed upon them, e.g. postmodernism. So I'll just, I'll leave that as an opening statement. I can keep going, but I'll let you guys um, respond to that. Um, well, I'd say that, um, and uh, Nino, who was on the punk rock calls with us, he was our uh, guest, uh, brought, brought a lot of good, not only a lot of good things up, but he also hit me to something that I was aware of this philosophy, but I wasn't completely and totally aware of its complete blanket influence. And it's, it's basically an offshoot of Dada postmodernist ideas. And it culminates into a literal hierarchy of situationists. And get aboard. Yeah, and, and, but but a lot of these people like who who push the postmodernist stuff, um, they are followers of situationist like philosophy. Like they're really into it. And I and like I said, uh, Nino on the call brought this up to me. And then the more I look into a lot of people who are the movers and shakers uh, within postmodernist culture, they subscribe to this idea of situationism and. Um, and I mean, I mean, it's basically the same thing to a certain extent, except it's, it, it thrives off of this idea of disrupting culture. And so, yeah. um, go, oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, that's, um, I was actually going to, uh, actually, I was thinking about talking about uh, the, the situationist and Guy Debord. Um, so, yeah, he's a very um, important thinker um, in terms of an extension of, um, Marxism. So he's, he's a Marxist. He's sort of, um, an early, like, Ferkenbach, uh, kind of more of a Hegelian, um, interpretation of Marxist. So his, uh, arguments, of course, everything is based on this idea, this materialist dialectic. Everything is production and consumption. But, uh, the board, um, you know, very interesting guy. And, and I, I will state this that I, you know, I used to, uh, I, I still think he's, he's a very important thinker. Um, he's somebody that, you know, he, he lived in, he was never, um, I would not consider him an agent per se. He was always, uh, in poverty to a certain extent in his life. Um, and, and there's, you know, again, there's a lot of well-meaning people that are involved with Marxism and that, you know, they, they, and let's be honest here, they, they, Marxism does have some pretty important critiques of capitalism, capitalism and, you know, uh, consumer society. However, it leads to absolutely. I would, say, I would say that, um, oh, real quick, let me just add this in before you continue. That, you know, I read, uh, what is it, Society of the Spectacle? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's great. I think a lot of its critiques are really good. Um, and he makes a lot of great points in there, although I don't fully, be- you know, believe in his philosophy, but that, that particular, uh, thing, I think he makes a lot of really good points. And it's like you said, like, you know, there's a lot of people who follow this philosophy and then they take it into the realm of, well, 
we're going to take this philosophy and we're going to use this to to destroy society and rebuild it in this uh, socialist utopia thing. Well, yeah, and, you know, it's, you know, I think that, you know, I'll get a little bit deeper here with this because it's something that I've been really experiencing a bit myself personally. Um, but in terms of DeBoard, yeah, what um, DeBoard's, you know, critique, um, his idea, you know, everything real has been moved into representation. And I'll just, you know what, I even have this memorized, a little bit embarrassing, but if I'm wrong, you can quote me. I think it's like images detached from every aspect of life merge into a common stream, and the former unity of life is lost forever. Apprehended in a partial way, reality unfolds in a new generality as a pseudo world, uh, strictly as an object of contemplation. Um, and that's very important because that, that in a sense lays the groundwork for way, where we are living now in that, um, when you go, you combine with the postmodernist, um, you know, you, you know, Derrida, I mean, Derrida who dominated academic philosophy for a long time, you know, and Derrida is a, you know, I, I, I'm going to swear, fuck Derrida. Fuck that guy. I'm sorry. You know, I mean, this, this destruction of any type of meaning possible in the culture, everything is this constructed meaning or it's a, it's all text and there's all these, you know, interpretations of the text. Well, guess what? That's, that's exactly what we have right now that has actually permeated absolutely our society, especially the academic institutions. For example, I mean, so, um, this idea of, of course, the panopticon, the total surveillance state, the total, uh, surveillance society coming from, um, uh, Bethany, Bethany, Jeremy Bethany was a kind of a socialist guy also, and he was for women's rights, you know, suffrages and all this stuff. But of course, probably familiar with, uh, the panopticon, which is this, this is this, uh, all seeing eye, basically. It's a, it's a prison or a reform school where the, the you know, the, the prisoner, the, the guard stands in this tower and he sees the reflection of the prisoners and the prisoners never know if they're being watched. And in fact, they internalize that state of being constantly watched. Interesting enough though, in the Panopticon, it's actually the shadow of the prisoners, right? So he's seeing the light, he's seeing the move, but they never know if they're being watched or not. They, they inculcate that into their minds. They become their own jailer, right? So to speak. And then, and then in fact, what we have now is the, re, is the movement of everybody becomes the, jailer and the prisoner they become the oppressed and the oppressor in that in the university system we have you know bias councils if you see if you see bias you report bias they're spending um you know millions of millions upon millions of dollars on diversity funding and you know the, you know microaggression on you know lgbt all this stuff right is uh, continuing unabated but this has now become this bias, this idea of bias, if you sense bias, it could be a hate crime, but maybe not. And they have these bureaus of bias, um, bias crimes, basically. And, and there's all these consulting firms that are now coming into universities and jobs and creating a more diverse environment. Well, I'm just going to be straight up here. I'm an American. You know, I worked extremely hard, at, you know, to, to reach where I was in the uh, academic institution. And I had a very promising career, um, and I basically, because of this 
bullshit. I have had to, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I'm still doing music and I don't have to like punch a clock at the factory. But the fact is that this has directly impacted my life. Every job I see, it's like, you know, you know, black, you know, or Hispanic or transgender or transsexual. So I actually was going to start applying for jobs and saying, I, I, I consider myself a black transsexual part animal. So I've got interspecial, all these things, but it's all in my mind, right? It's all construction. And so what's happening with this idea that reality is all a construction, right? At the same time, it's a constant surveillance state. It's a constant state of you're being constantly inundated with surveillance. Um, most of it voluntary, you know, you have, you know, the eye, you know, on your computer screen, you have your cell phone with GPS tracking systems. So you're in a constant matrix of surveillance at the same time. You're in this, in the institutions inculcating, uh, number one, this feeling of, of oppression. We have to fight against oppression. Uh, so, you know, and, and obviously you, I'm sure you're all aware of all the, the stuff that's going on, but then you're putting in these bureaus, you're bringing in these consultants and you're, you know, you're shutting down academic freedom, but you're putting in this fear network based on these fully unreal constructed identities or, you know, perhaps, you know, these, um, quote unquote, um, you know, quote unquote diversity, which, you know, in and of itself is not a bad thing, but actually diversity is creating the panopticon is creating the ultimate surveillance state again, where the prison is inside the mind. And yet everyone is also, you know, reporting on their neighbors. Um, and then everyone's in a constant state of fear, except for the active agents, the social justice warriors. Um, and we go to that level of the social justice warriors. There we see the utilization of the situationist uh, model of disruption, right? You, so you're, what you're doing, um, this idea that the real world has been moved into this simulacra, into this um, representational imaginary, right? Um, and so basically everything is mediated, right? This is the idea that, that uh, the board talks about is everything is mediated through the image, through this representation, through the surface, as Derrida would say, through the text. Right. So we can interpret the text. We can just create our own genders based on our thoughts. Um, and so at the same time, what is actually happening is this complete inculcation of the prison into the mind, into the body, into the collective psyche. And, and so in terms of situationalism, I may not mention this to you guys, but I went to a, a major conference, you know, on public arts funding. Um, you know, with all these arts organizations, you know, from all over the country. And this, it was unbelievable because the presenter was promulgating this idea of using situationist tactics to disrupt your own performances. So disrupting an opera by using situationist tactics to destroy the aesthetic experience of the opera for organizations that are supposedly promoting arts and culture. So it's, and they literally had a handout. There's a, there's a workshop on utilizing situationist tactics, which were initially meant again to sort of disrupt the uh, capitalist society. You know, you had this 1967 Paris revolution to what, what extent that actually, you know, what extent these people were unwittingly or wittingly, you know, working for the, you know, the, the, the same thing. But the fact is that um, the prescience of that, which is, you have Baudrillard, um, 
who did, you know, simulation and simulacra, who in a certain extent kind of, he didn't say he ripped off the board, but he, he, he never cites the board, but he sort of took that, that whole model, um, into the next, um, sphere. But at the same time, I would say that someone like, uh, Baudrillard is actually creating this intellectual space, which is actually because itself is the simulation of simulacra, right? So the idea of the, of the situation is, is to, 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 uh, sort of like the dream of the matrix, right? This conditioned encoded reality system. You want to interrupt that. You want to interrupt this completely mediated, um, you know, mind controlled fantasy playground with these activities. But this is actually, um, all these techniques, um, the, in, just like Bentham, uh, this, uh, the, you know, social reformer, women's voting rights, the idea of the panopticon, you know, he's supposed to be this humane idea. Well, that's the exact same thing. These, these ideas have actually become the very means of oppression, the very means of re removing and reducing the human individual uh, to simply a functionary in in a external and internal um, psychic prison um, that, like a machine, will continually debase the culture, um, continually debase the individual, continually. Um, basically almost grinding people down to the level of uh, sludge. Uh, right, you know, it's, and, and now we're, um, it, you know, starting to see this. Of course, um, it, yeah, a lot of it's out there on the Internet. A lot of people are, you know, there's, there seems to be some kickback to it. But you look at uh, what, you know, What's going on as far as, uh, you know, the university systems where they'll have a um, sort of discussion on anything that even touches on um, gender issues or anything like that. And you'll have these uh, self-described uh, social justice warriors uh, disrupt and shout down anybody that they perceive as being, you know, even ha having a hint of racism or anything like that. So it, it, it it's almost like you just have this um, sort of free for all this shouting match and, 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 and it's just, just reactive nonsense where it's just, you know, it, there's no, nothing that can be taken away from that because there's no discussion or anything or anything in, uh, involved in the process. It's just, you know, if, if you're perceived a certain way, then you're shouted down and then it's um, sort of this, um, yeah, just, it's like it's like just this absent-minded, uh, reactionary type of idea. Like you know, you 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 just kind of go and go and just identify people as uh, being uh, you know racist or bigoted, and then just start just shouting at them, and just um, you know, no no logical discourse or anything is necessary in any of it. It's just it's just a matter of um, who can shout louder. Well, I mean, not even that. You have, um, you know, books being removed from the curriculum. You have um, false historical narratives. You have, um, you know, which is, you know, something like I said, I wish I would never have to think about, you know, whiteness or, uh, you know, a race identity, whatever that means. Um, but, you know, anything, oh, these guys are, you know, we can't read Shakespeare. You know, people have, you know, removed Dante because he says this or that. I mean, um, and so... You know, you, you have this, you have a, you really have an absolute, um, um, I mean, it, it's actually, if you really think about it, it's extremely frightening.
because um, it's, you know, you're creating this, you know, the absolute, the agents of their supposed liberation are actually creating, you know, they're creating a, a, an absolute um, tyranny um, where knowledge is not even readily available. And it's, you know, and uh, there's other examples of that. Um, you know, libraries are, are getting rid of so many books. So books are being removed. Um, the Internet is a great source of information, but you see stuff always gets removed. You have the manipulation of consciousness or perception by manipulating Google search results. Um, and then what you have also is, you know, what you guys are doing, I don't call the quote unquote truth community, but you have all of these um, things that are set up and you have people, oh, this person's an agent, there's a conflict. You know, a recent example, you have the conflict between uh, Ken O'Keefe and uh, Max Egan or whatever. And suddenly, so this guy's shutting this person down and, and he's discrediting, discrediting him. He's discrediting the whole idea of, um, of, uh, support for, uh, you know, vo- you know, this idea of donations, you know, to create independent media. Um, but then, but then you don't know. And this goes across the board. You have the, this infighting. So both of them, could be agents, right? So you have all this, um, you know, you, you start to create this hall of mirrors where everything is reflecting off of each other. And again, it's um, the actual reality is not even available, right? So, or it's, it's there, but then everything is, you know, you, you know, there's hit pieces on various people on the internet and then they have a good idea, but then there's a hit piece on them. And then on the other hand, there's a lot of people that are, they're just, you know, are honey traps just to get people to, to be involved with something. There's, you know, this and that. I mean, so there's so much of that going on, especially as you start to get deeper to these core issues that, um, and then again in the academy, then you have this silencing of dissident voices, James Tracy, you know, losing his job, many, many other academics losing their jobs, even for personal, you know, uh, tweets and this kind of thing. Um, Canada, you have full on, you know, thought crime legislation being implemented. Um, so uh, what, what we have here is the social justice warriors are, um, what is it, just exactly like it's 1984 where you have, you know, that the kids are the most uh, vigorous members of the party that will say at the big brother. And so as they're, they're fighting over their, their, uh, you know, diversity bullshit and their whatever stuff. I mean, what are they doing? They're destroying the actual last remaining bastion of thought and free thinking that, that exists. And they're actually being part of the student loan, you know, as, as they're being subjugated by the, uh, you know, eternal debt servitude to the student loan, uh, you know, scam model. So, you know, so it's, um, it's, that's, uh, and that's, I'll just, I'll let you guys come in here real quick, but you put this towards punk rock. Same thing, right? We have punk rock. Um, it, you know, when I said in the opening, I, I mentioned, you know, okay, you have the, the uh, 12 tone music, etc. Um, but then you have the development of popular music, you know, I mean, this obviously goes back to like Stephen Foster, but you know, as that develops, but then with punk rock, suddenly you have the, this, this idea that you don't, you shouldn't even have talent. It shouldn't even be music. It's, it's this, um, you know, and, 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 you know, like Gigi Allen, of course, the, the Christ and Satan of the punk movement, who is the ultimate example of, of, of this total internal degradation in the idea of freedom. So you're freeing yourself from these quote unquote restrictions, but in fact, you're, you're destroying the very foundational systems that you could find a way to not only transform society, but to transform yourself. Um, and then by, 
but at the same time, you're degrading yourself and you're, you're conducting a war on the society or elements of the society that are actually those that are necessary if there's any way out of this, right? So we, you know, and then again with the internet, you have this, uh, you can have this hall of mirrors. You don't know who to trust. Is this person agent, that person agent, this and that, you're infighting. And I, and I think some of this infighting is actually scripted, right? You got two agents fighting with each other. Um, and, and then so people that don't know, you know, get, you know, then you start, you know, then you go to the point of you don't believe in anything, right? Nothing is real. Nothing ever happened. There is no reality. The reality is just the interpretation. And where does that end? land us? That lands us right there with Strauss, right? The Straussian idea that the ruling elite will project the images in the cave for the slaves or for the ignorant to watch. And these projected images are like the shadows reflected in the panopticon. And that is ultimately it is the state, the media, these people with the resources uh, to con- create mass movements, to distribute media, to, you know, to transform social uh, organizations. Those are the people that are ultimately creating and controlling this manipulated narrative. Yeah, and the uh, board actually uh, states that in the uh, Society of the Spectacle. He says that... Um, I'm going off of memory. I just recently read that quote when uh, Chris and I were doing a 9/11 broadcast. But the yeah, it's the the state itself reinforces itself through the spectacle, and the spectacle itself is the state through the reinforcement of itself. <laughs> huh. Yeah, good way to put it. Yeah, well, just real quick, it's like it's like the you know he talks about um, the like the automobile. I'm going from memory here. If I recall, um, he talks about the car or the automobile is an example of a, you know, of a, of a product of the spectacular state, so to speak, right? Obviously not spectacular and meaning it's an amazing thing, but the auto itself, you know, we've talked about the suburban, you know, destruction of uh, environment, but you become locked as a prisoner. The actual, the, um, the productions of that, um, the commodity, so to speak, feeds back into it. It locks you back into it. I mean, just think of it, you know, a car, you got to pay taxes, you got your driver's license, you've got this thing, that thing, you know, and then obviously this is moving now towards the idea of having automated cars. You know, you have all the surveillance stuff being enacted. So, so, you know, again, this, um, the, the, uh, well, okay. You know, what would again seem to be the mode of freedom is actually, the mode of enslavement that then it becomes this, um, the cycle, right? That, that basically drives deeper, you deeper and deeper into this unreal, uh, world of these, you know, images reflecting off of each other. Um, and, and it creates a disembodied type of consciousness. Yeah. And, you know, Chris and I think a lot of it's fake, obviously. Um, but, not everything. <laughs> well, yeah, no, no, exactly, exactly, and that's that's the thing. I mean, well, this this whole um, this idea you know, we talk about the simulations in Lacra, right? This has been applied to our society on a massive scale. Um, so when the board writes this, there's a later book he wrote. Um, I think it's 1988, where he does talk about. These events, you know, um, even creation of false terrorist organizations. But now you literally have this recon, you know, you have a certain events that are absolutely staged. 
right? Um, that are, that don't exist, that are just, they're simply media constructions. Um, and, you know, Jan and I talked a lot about the War of the Worlds, which was kind of the first rollout of that, of that model. So, you know, exactly. I mean, and, and you know, by the word real, I, I you know, I'm, I, I can give a lot, a lot of more gradations to what I mean by that. That might take us uh, far afield, but, you know, obviously, I mean, of course that's part of it. Right. So then, um, you know, you're in this domain and then where, again, these things are not real, right. You, you know, you're actually living in these um, psychosocial events. And I think even part of their potency is the fact that they aren't real, that, that, that sort of creates a deeper, deeper level of entrainment and entrapment in the, uh, "Quote unquote uh, spectacular uh, state." So to speak. You, you just made me think of something that's kind of unrelated, but yet related, and that is, uh, I brought up this book many times on our talks. Is there's a book by a lady named Marie Wynn, and she wrote a book called "The Plug-in Drug," and it's a book about television. And and she basically says, you know, and she's talking about the effect of television on children specifically. That's what the book is about. And it's written in the 70s. And the, a, good, a good portion of the book is written about how uh, at that time, like, people were saying, you know, there, there were people saying, like, okay, well, we need, we need better television. You know, we don't need to get rid of television entirely. We just need better television. We need less violence, less sex on TV, more Sesame Street, you know, more Rockefeller Foundation funded, you know, education stuff. Um, uh, so she was saying, you know, she, she was making the argument that television needed to be eliminated entirely from a child's, you know, uh, life. And she, and she was basing some of her arguments off of, you know, the nature of reality and saying like, okay, well, even if you're viewing something that is, you know, real, um, and, and I would, and Chris made this point the other night on his call that a lot of us, myself included, we, we have uh, stunted growth through, through the generations as adults. Like, you know, um, there were certain things in my life where I can look back on it and say like, okay, I came into adulthood in that particular um, part of my life a little bit later than I should have. And I realized that and I, I need to, you know, I needed to grow up in those particular areas. And so, because we're stunted growth adolescent um, adults, just by way of having uh, manufactured culture that does that to you. Uh, and then you applied like the thing that Marie Wynn was saying, how um, children with their perception of reality is altered through television because the filtration of it through like through the TV, you're, you're looking at something, you're looking at something through a medium, even if it's real, even if it is like you're watching a news broadcast and the newscaster really is standing out there on a street corner, interviewing somebody at the scene of a car crash that really did happen. It's not real because it's coming through the filter of the TV and the perception of the viewer is altered because it's coming through a medium to where it's not true. It's, it's the foundation of it is not truthful, right? Because there's a spin on it. There's always a spin on it. Even if it's a straight report or, or, you know, you're watching a documentary of something, 
Like it's not going to be something that you could actually experience in real life. And there's always going to be some form of manipulation that comes through it. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, that's, um, you know, that's, uh, I'm not familiar with that, that author, but yeah, I mean, with, with television, that's a great example, um, of something. So uh, when you have, you know, the representation of a visual image, say that in art, right? So when, when you're creating something, um, as a work of art, I think it's pretty oh. good. I do. Uh, I'm now raise my prices quite high, but so what? Uh, you know, I got to do it, man. If there's someone's shitting in a, in a, uh, in a can and selling it for $500,000 or a million dollars, which is actually done. You're probably familiar with that. Like shit in artist shit. Someone sold their feces in a can called artist shit. And it's sold. I think it may have sold for a million or something, but, um, with, with the television, um, yeah, you, what you do is you have a shift from, um, you know, we go back to Plato and Aristotle, the importance of art in the human life, in a balanced human life. But the thing is, art is understood as art, right? So you're going to a play, even if you're going to say a religious ritual, some kind of ecstatic Dionysian ritual and, you know, taking the, um, the hallucinogenic substance they're drinking or something, but still, you know, you're, you're in a real environment or you're going into a different type of ritual space or you're going into an aesthetic space. Television manipulates reality by appearing to be reality exactly as you said. So what you have is these broken off images, um, as a boulder art calls the floating signifier, the signified and the signifier, right? The signified is the actual object. The sig, um, and the signifier is, is that the word or our representation, whether it's a visual image, and that's cut off from an actual connection to the concrete world or to our actual sense experiences. So television portrays itself as a type of reality, right? So it, 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 it's, it's operating again. This is a new phenomenon. I mean, it's one thing to go in and, and I'll differentiate this from cinema. Because in a cinema, you go into the movie theater, you're leaving your home, you're going into a space. It's kind of like, you know, and of course, there's lots of realms of manipulation of cinema. Uh, however, you're still, you know, this idea of the embodied presence that I, 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 you know, kind of, kind of really harp on because I think exactly what we're talking about television with its placement at, in the home, if you go to, you know, you go to the gym, you're surrounded by television screens. You go to a bar, you're surrounded by television screens. You know, how, how many, you know, now it seems like, you know, not only do you, are you trapped with like 50s, well, 60s, 70s, 80s classic rock wherever you go, but half the time there's always a television screen. And, you know, and if you start noticing that, I mean, it depends on where you are, but it's just amazing that this constant thing is there. And especially it's flashing in the threshold of your subconscious. And then, you know, we can get into the flicker rate of television um, and all kinds of other things. But television itself, um, just on a fundamental level, um, what you have is a change of associational meanings of language. So I would say that the television results in the breakdown of language and also results um, of confusing the perceiver um, with the image, with the reality because of its 
loci, so to speak, in the home or its ubiquity as just a as just sort of a utility, like a toilet or a door. It's just there for most people, just on. Um, and so it starts to affect social relationships. It affects how people talk to each other. It affects how people identify themselves. It affects – this can occur on an absolutely unconscious level, but then especially for children, it – it removes the actual process of neural encoding of, of sensory modalities, experience, thought, emotional development. Um, and I'll, I'll bring up a very interesting uh, point about this idea of being trapped in a, in a perpetual state of adolescence. But um, just, just, just saying that, yeah, the, the television itself, um, you know, does it, – it, it's – and I am not familiar with the author you mentioned, but it's, it's certainly something that, that has a – ubiquity that we've actually forgotten uh, what it has done, how it has transformed our consciousness and our ability to separate image from reality. And in fact, turning the truth into a lie, right? Divorcing the, so in a sense, a visual image is a signifier for the actual event. It's divorcing that from the actual event and it's putting this into this, um, Again, this sort of, uh, this, this, uh, floating, uh, non-place, uh, that, 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 that sort of is a collective group mind right now. Well, the, another, another, another thing I brought this up, uh, in talks before, but I think it's such a great example. And since you're not familiar with, uh, that book or Marie Wynn, I'll bring this up. She makes a great point that another way it alters perception, not only in children, but in adults too, is uh and this is the example she gives if you're looking at a mountain range which i'm looking at a mountain range right now if um if you're looking at a mountain range and you're seeing it in real life like you cannot view the entire thing you have to look at it in sections like you're not viewing the entire mountain all at once but on a television screen perception is altered because you see the if they show you a mountain range, you're seeing the entire mountain all at once. And, and, uh, so, so when, when that happens, it, it's, it's, it's the same thing as like, um, as when a child sees a, a man who is, you know, two feet tall on a screen. Mm-hmm. And, and you're, you're able to see these little figures walking around and, and then you look to people in real life and they're not that tall, obviously they're not little two foot tall people. Right. But what it does is, is as you know, as your perception is being altered in that, um, you know, like your uh, depth perception or your uh, size perception is being altered there. Whatever the, the uh, she talks about how, how, um, how viewing something in that scope, like being able to see a mountain in that. And I, I know we've all talked about the hypnotic effects or we're all familiar with the hypnotic effects of television, but this is one of the ways that this is hypnotizing is being able to view something in that, that, uh, proportionally, um, is, uh, manipulate, proportionally manipulated puts you, it helps put you into a hypnotic state and whatever messages are being conveyed through the show are taken in because of this uh, this proportional um, uh, manipulation, right? It's, it's that hypnotic state. It's you're looking at a mountain range that's 
being taken in all at once when you're not really supposed to be able to do that in nature. And so it was interesting to see that because, you know, obviously we know that television is hypnotic, but she was actually describing one of the ways that it is that how that works. One of the functions of, of uh, hypnotism through television. Uh, yeah. And then at the same time, um, you know, if you look at, for example, there's a memory palace, right? These were techniques um, utilized starting in Greece, using you know, Renaissance, you know, how you could, people could remember, you know, massive amounts of text. So they, you know, you literally be a palace or with different sculptures, you'd walk around and this external environment would become this internal visual imaginal or imaginal uh, space where you would remember all these things. And then in your mind's eye, you know, so to speak, you could be able to get this zoom out and see the mountain range in its entirety, but your senses are different. So there's, um, there was, uh, the, 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 it's almost like, um, and I'm sure this doesn't go for everybody, but I, I, I certainly feel that myself, um, it's affected me. Um, it, it, it reduces, it renders impotent or it, it reduces our own abilities to actually our own images and memory and our own visual consciousness as, is is a field of mind, you know, the, the this ability is also erased, right? Because it's just like, you know, you use a GPS, you know, I, I started using a GPS a lot and I'd even, I'd forget how to get somewhere just because I'd become dependent on this external device. Um, and at the same time, this does it, but much more insidiously because it's technically not, you don't really think of it as a device. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, a medium of entertainment. You got, oh, go ahead. You got Absolutely. Chris, you got anything you want to add to that? Well, when you're describing how television can, can, uh, give you, give you something it, 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 as an image that, uh, is not normal or something that you're, you know, and I think what happens, what, the way I think it works, the way I understand it is that, uh, and, and there's other stuff that works along the same lines is that your, your brain can become over overwhelmed or overstimulated to the point where it's trying to process this, uh, sort of novel information and, you know, and and trying to, you know, trying to sort through it because it's, it's a presentation that is not, it's artificial. So it has to, you know, get, get some kind of, um, get, get some kind of bearings. And in the process, it you know part is activating parts of your brain while while um you know uh, the rest of your brain or the part maybe the cognitive functions aren't aren't being um uh stimulated you know so they kind of you know the the processing part of the brain that deals with that sort of thing is being activated and then subsequently your uh cognitive part of your brain is um you know put on hold as the the suggestion or the messages come in to your uh, subconscious mind, they don't get processed through your uh, critical faculties. I think there's a lot of stuff out there that operates on that same general principle, where you're you're getting stuff in uh, inputs that are um, bypassing your critical faculties by some kind of uh, it, it's, it's, so it's a tactical way that diverts uh, part of your brain's attention away. Or, uh, I mean, uh, I guess I'm having a hard time describing exactly what I'm getting at, but I think y'all know what I'm know what I mean. 
Oh yeah, yeah, and if just um, you know the the classical Greek conception of the balanced life, you have work, you have recreation, and you have leisure. Okay, so these are the three elements. Your work is your work. Recreation is something you do to you know whether it's you know mountain climbing or something like that, some type of activity that's a very involved activity, and then leisure is a you know a time of re- relaxation and quiet. Um, and what we have, the interjection um, of these, you know, not having these clearly differentiated. And then you have the television. We, you think you're relaxing in front of the TV. You're actually going into – you're not really relaxing. You're basically going into a, a hypnotic trance where you're not really resting. But because your conscious mind is sort of being lulled, you, you think you're not really experiencing leisure and you're certainly not doing – Recreation, you're not doing any type of productive activity or something challenging or whatever. So it actually puts you kind of in a sonambulant kind of sleepwalking state. Um, and then it's possible to re-encode, um, representations of images, representations of language itself. Um, and, but at the same time, just to kind of throw this back to music, I mean, look at Elvis, look at how important television was for the Beatles, for the rock, you know, revolution, so to speak, and how that visual image of Elvis on television and the Beatles and, you know, and the, the girls screaming, whatever, um, these iconic images or 9-11 is a great example, just being rammed down, you know, constantly seeing this image over and over again as a type of uh, shock programming, conditioned programming, you know, writing below the conscious threshold. Um, so it's definitely a weaponized media medium. But it also, um, it's just great to sit down and just watch TV. No, I mean, I don't even watch TV. I, I go to the hotels, man, and I go whenever I'm traveling, and I, I put the TV on, and I just, you know, flip around channels. But I, as someone who really hasn't watched TV for quite a while, I'm just blown away. I'm like, wow, this is really, it's, 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 it's I'm like, it's pretty rough out there. I mean, you think about people yeah. in, in, in ingesting this constantly. It's, uh, it's frightening, actually. Yeah, you can notice yeah. how on you watching television, if you pay attention to on, on some of these programs, they have they have a cut scene like every three or four seconds on some of these where it's 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 your and like you like you're saying, you don't you can't your mind can't rest. You're, you're always because you're watching this imagery and it's constantly being um this jarring kind of shift to different camera angle or different and and like some of the some of these television shows there it's that that is really pronounced where it's it's like it is like really um to me it's really irritating i i i can't handle it i don't, I don't like it and then uh but it that that has to be putting you into some kind of like a hypno, hypnotic trance or something i i I don't, I don't see what the, uh, aesthetic quality or anything like that that adds any value to the, to the production or anything at all. It's just, it's, it's, it has to be some sort of gimmick, um, some tactic or gimmick or, uh, I, I, I don't know if it's in, who knows what, what is being done, you know, specifically, um, to, you know, quote unquote hypnotize people. But, you know, one, one man's idea of hypnosis might be another person's idea of, you know, trying, uh, d- doing stuff to, um, uh, what do they call it? Viewer retention or whatever their, their term for it is. But, you know, the, see, 
like, like a lot of stuff, you know, you run across, it's like, oh, well, no, it's, it's not a conspiracy. This is not anything nefarious about it. It's just the way things are done in television. You have to, you have to maintain viewer retention. And then, you know, the way to do it is to do these tactics or techniques, but, uh, yeah, but the overall result is that they're, they are, um, ca- causing people to go into hip- hypnotic states and, uh, open it up for more suggestibility and uh which would also be a, a goal of uh, uh marketing and selling products right so there'd be an incentive there to to use any of those tactics uh, uh through television well actually um you know that's that's a great point you brought up i mean so the hypnotic effect of television is predicated upon um, you know, again, you have the flicker rate, you have the, uh, you know, the, uh, photic driving, light driving, you have this stuff. So that, that's one dimension. But when you talk about the quick cuts, we go back to William S. Burroughs, Byron Ginsum, you know, they had this experimental filmmaking. The mo- his idea was li- life is a cut up, right? Like, uh, the novel Naked Lunch, he took the novel and cut it up. And, you know, and supposedly could cut it up and put it back together. But they were also working on films. And then, you know, he has, they have that, uh, that whatever it is, the dream machine thing, you know, so they were really working with this, um, this idea of sort of fracturing perception of reality by these quick cuts and jumping scenes was used actually as a method of manipulating consciousness. Ken Kesey of the Merry Pranksters, um, that was one of the things he was, uh, doing in his, you know, hippie peace and love quest. Um, uh, you know, they would have these, you know, tape delay machines set up, all these out of sync, uh, strobe lights during the acid test. And this was because of there's, um, sort of a, I think it's a 30 millisecond gap between a perception and then when you sort of become consciously aware of it. So this, you know, there's like this, uh, like the Zen monks will talk about direct immediate perception, what happens in this sort of split instant. But what Ken Kesey was doing was disrupting that. So you have like an auditory echo and then in, you know, people described it, you actually couldn't even think anymore. Because your own voice would echo back or those tape delays. And then you have these, uh, you know, multiple strobe lights that are out of sync with the music. And supposedly this was supposed to liberate you, right? This is supposed to, you know, you're, um, you can free your mind by, you know, invoking, you know, occult demonic entities and, uh, and taking, you know, LSD with a bunch of CIA agents and, and it just, you know, listen to the, the Grateful Dead, you know, noodling around and just, you know, taking massive doses of LSD and, you know, you have like the, you know, the, the Hell's Angels raping a girl during one of their acid tests and everyone's like, oh, that's cool. She's in her movie. But I mean, so you go into that state and, but that's, that's exactly these techniques that were developed in different ways, um, serve to fracture our perceptions, right? So it, it's, um, I mean, at least according to William S. Burroughs and Ken Kesey, you know, um, they were trying to liberate us, right, from the tyranny of our linear perceptions and get to this direct, immediate experience. However, I don't know how absolutely overloading all your senses, right, just blasting music and flashing lights and all this stuff. Because, I mean, even that, that the tape delay stuff is now a, a sonic weapon. It's used, you know, to disrupt, uh, disrupt protests and stuff when you have, you know, you're talking and you get a certain uh, exact millisecond delay of your own voice. You, you, it actually shuts down your thought processes. And so Ken Gizzi helped, I don't know if he helped develop it, but that's currently, you know, in use, um, with our, in our wonderful police, you know, arsenal of, uh, of, uh, techniques to disrupt crowds. But when they're, they're caught up of these images, it disrupts the ability to maintain a single line of thought. It, 
Um, it does play on the fact that yes, our brains are constructing our realities from, you know, sense perceptions that are happening. So yes, in a certain level, our, our reality is a cut up because our brains are, are compiling all these different sensory modalities, you know, visual modality, tactile, auditory, et cetera, et cetera, and creating a fused or a seamless experience of reality, right? But why would you want to go in and interject and stick your hand in the middle of that process and start to disrupt it or fracture it, right? So what this actually does is it, I mean, I think it creates a dissociational sense. It, it you know, not only the ability to concentrate, to follow a line of thought, to be able to perceive your environment correctly, but it also serves to 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 remove you from reality because again there is a mechanism right our our our, our brains are formulating these sense perceptions but we we you know we experience everything as it's a unified uh, perceptual field but this actually interjects right this is this is cutting up that and sort of go, it's kind of like the operating system of the brain, just like, you know, we talked about the music stuff and this type of frequencies, et cetera. So, um, it, I, I think this is, you know, I, I'm just kind of speaking from my own, um, standpoint here, but I, I could hypothesize that it could possibly serve as a mechanism to start to unravel our natural abilities to make coherent sense of the world around us, to make sense of who and where we are, to be able to follow narratives. You know what I mean? So in a certain unconscious level, I think, you know, by, again, it's kind of like rewiring. It's like putting a little um, piece of paper in some kind of a machine that that's there. And as, as that piece of paper is, even though that's the operation of the machine, it sort of starts to slow it down or affect it. So I think it could have a much more deeper and pernicious effect on consciousness than people are aware. And then given the, again, then given the ubiquity of televisions, you know, wherever you go, at least in the United States, um, it's, uh, it, it, it has other implications. And I would say too, let me just bring this up about punk that, um, you know, with the stuff that, the stuff that you guys have talked about uh, with the hippie stuff and, uh, you know, the Mary Pranksters and all that. Um, punk is that when you, when you listen to our, our talks, you're going to hear that there's a lot of connections between the people who are running the hippie scene and people who are running the punk scene. And whereas, uh, you know, the hippie, thing uh, succeeded in that generation of kind of making adolescents out of people who would turn into adults and, you know, perpetual adolescents. Uh, I think that, that that punk like succeeds at that better, you know, even, even though like punk in and of itself wasn't completely and totally mainstream uh, in the 1970s, uh, it was well. I mean, it was known. It was talked about in the mainstream. Uh, even though you wouldn't hear, uh, you're not going to hear. Um, you know, uh, the Avengers played in the same set as Journey on main, on you know uh, radio in the 70s or in the 80s. Um, but there were uh, radio stations playing punk, and there were. Uh, you know, it was on, it was on television, uh, uh, on the news, you know, reported on. And then, you know, it went mainstream and 
commercial in the 1990s. So it was a long process of being able to do that. And, you know, the overall idea behind punk is not to grow up. Right? Even though you have these political, uh, you might have these uh, political bands one of the one of the the things that you'll hear throughout a lot of the bands that are political is, oh yeah, we're going to reject everything by not growing up. It's kind of like uh, Zen Buddhism or something, you know, like the the Alan Watts version or something. Oh, you're going to reject it by by remaining uh, in a childlike state, and um, and so. Uh, that is the uh, extension of the of you know what was happening in the in the hippie era, and I just wanted to add that in because we were talking about you know um, remaining adolescents, and I just want to add that in there. When when you listen to our talks, you'll hear those connections. Oh yeah, no, that that's all a great point. Um, you know, and I would say that see if you look at it as um, you know as a long term um, you know very. Uh, you know, vast project. Uh, there's um, the element. Just one second. Sorry, I had a visitor there. Um, but um, basically, you, you know, the the um, you know Carl Jung. You know, we go back to this idea of alchemy. The transformation of metals um, symbolizes spiritual and cultural transformation. Um, you know, you tie this in with Saul Alinsky, whose protege was, you know, Grateful Dead's first manager. And his idea is first you have to disrupt the community and then you can change it. So you go to this process of disruption. So we look at, you know, 1950s, you have a particular stage, but there still was um, – Rock was something that was part of you, right? It was something you, you would grow out of. You wouldn't, you know, except for, you know, obviously now people are still doing that. Uh, 1960s, you have a sudden, but it was still like entertainment. It was kind of kids music, right? It wasn't considered a serious thing. In the 60s, you have this shift of rock as being uh, a major cultural force. Um, is something that is, you know, uh, changing the generations. You even have art, rock considered as serious art. Um, and then you have it, tied in with this whole, you know, again, the whole uh, psychosocial, sexual uh, transformations of, of the 1960s. But you see, in that case, rock did have a lot of idealism. It was connected with this very positive um, outlook on the world. You know, we're going to change the world. We're going to save the, save the whales. You know, we're going to, we're going to sit in our rooms, dosed on LSD, and the world's just going to change by itself, man. But it still had that aesthetic there and also you have to remember you do have some pretty competent musicians except for maybe the uh the you know the sound of a you know kind of the diet the quacking duck of bob dylan but um most of the musicians are pretty good you know and and relatively competent um and then you have the shutdown of the 1960s you know 
talked about many times, you have this, you know, the cultural trauma of 1963, then the cultural traumas of 1969, you have the bad acid, the heroin coming in, and you just have this whole thing, the whole dream turns out to be a lie, and everyone's disillusioned, then you go into the me generation, right, you have the rise of self-help books, you have all, you know, all this stuff, you know, just can being concerned about yourself, and kind of giving up on the social, or even that, you find that in the Aquarian conspiracy, you know, the change is going to happen on the plane of consciousness, so don't bother with activism, and then you have um, you know, there's some interesting stuff going on in the black, mu- you know, in jazz um, and some of the black music in 1970s. You know, you have some kind of interesting music going. You actually have some great music in the early 70s in some of the jazz areas, but you have the corporate rock, right? So now you suddenly imposed, um, you fractured the, the, the social, um, you fractured everyone's idealism. You've told them that they, could, they don't have to grow up, but they still have this uh you know, this some kind of a, a heart, some idea to change, and then suddenly you're, they're controlled under this, you know, all these corporate rock bands. And then punk is sort of like the corollary offshoot of that. Punk is a, a reaction, so to speak, to the corporate rock. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's um, you know, as you were saying, it's it's predicated as, as a rebellion. Um, it, it's, it's a rebellion of nihilism. So you, you take the person from some kind of a, a rebellion against sexual mores against your parents in the 50s to a rebellion against the, the dominant, quote unquote, capitalist society um, in the 60s. And you then you go to a combination of either, corp, you know, corporate control or a nihilistic idea. There's no longer it, which is an offshoot of this idea of the me generation, you know, and <laughs> you have this level of. Um, you know, personal immaturity, but then punk has this, again, this idea of nihilism. Um, it's like Dada, but there's really nothing more to change. You just want to destroy it. Um, you, you know, it's, um, it, it's, uh, you know, I mean, again, there's certainly probably well-meaning punk artists out there, but there's also a lot of punk artists that were not well-meaning. I know a guy who personally knows D.D. Ramone or knew him. He went to school with him in Germany, actually. And even D.D. Ramone, I guess, um, Hopefully, I, this guy is, you know, I won't bring up his name, but he said D.D. Rome started getting the very dark, like esoteric occult practices. He made, he, he didn't really want to get into what he was, D.D. Ramone got into, but it seemed like he was, um, from what my friend told me, again, who knew him personally, he was getting involved with some of that, you know, pretty heavy duty stuff going on in the kind of upper elite circles, right? But you have this nihilism, destruction of all value, destruction of meaning. Um, I just want to bring this up real quick, which I, I always forget to bring this up. And this is uh, erotic crystallization inertia, which is a quite interesting um, uh, thing from Anton LaVey, um, who described that we basically get locked. And he looks at this as a positive thing. So erotic crystallization inertia means that that part of time or our youth where we had like our first sexual experience. Um, and then so the music and the cl- Uh, I think Hans, I can't hear Better. you. Oh, oh there you are. You're back. Okay, you can hear me. Yeah, um, you cut okay. out there for oh. a couple seconds. Okay, so, so well, this I think erotic crystallization theory is quite important because he talks about crystallizing the communities based on, say, you know, 1950s. You know, you're in the backseat of the car listening to Elvis, and you have your first erotic experience. Well, that you're going to be kind of frozen in that time, right? It's kind of freezing you in that time period, um, and so. Basically, the lifestyle and values 
you kind of carry those on uh, throughout your life. Um, let me see if I find a quote here from Anton LaVey. Um, quote, Anton LaVey says, man is the only animal who has carefully been taught to be discontented. Um, and so this is used in magic. Um, so you actually, again, psychologically or physiologically rejuvenate yourself by being trapped in this, or no, by, by reliving this period of time. But I think when you talk about not growing up and you look at punk, you look at the, you know, the, the pernaciousness of how people identify with music styles. I think this erotic uh, crystallization inertia, um, I think it has some uh, validity, right? In that it does, um, seem to be part of this, um, this, um, experience. Um, but then if you couple that, like you're saying about this idea of rejecting responsibility, so actually freedom comes by accepting responsibility. But in fact, you're, you know, just like the social justice warriors, right? Who are supposedly creating a free space by shouting down everyone that talks. So by rejecting responsibility, by rejecting growing up, um, you know, you're actually trapping, trapping yourself. Yeah, like in, infantilism or, you know, like, the, yeah, yeah, you watch the, uh, social justice warriors and it's, and it's like, um, it, the kind of, the types of argument you, you probably encounter with like a toddler, you know, it's, 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 there's no, no rational discourse or anything like that. And, um, yeah, I, I, I just wonder, and it's interesting, yeah, or sort of ironic, I guess, that this comes out of universities, you know. Or supposedly you're, you're there for academic study and, you know, which requires that you, you know, an individual would have to like discipline their mind to some degree, right? To, you know, in order to perform academically at all, you know. But then on the other hand, you have this, um, which maybe is, uh, and one way to look at it would be sort of a, um, you know, someone going through this artificial process of uh you know academic learning for extended periods of time and then sort of this this um sort of cathartic release i guess of emotion and expression and just you know of course it's irrational and it has nothing maybe that like that is why you know you're kind of seeing and plus you know these people are younger people and they kind of have pent up frustrations and probably broken homes and everything else and then you, you you see this sort of uh uh, gushing of emotion and reaction to uh, just, you know, kind of no, no real, you know, well, you know, I, risk of repeating myself. Yeah. No real logic or anything to it, but yeah, it, it, I, th- I think that's the way a lot of this stuff or like the punk rock scene and stuff gets, gets, gets traction is it is a, um, it, it serves as like an outlet of sorts, I guess. So you need, you need some sort of an outlet because of the, uh, I think an intrinsically oppressive nature of like any, any kind of institution and especially schools and stuff like that where, you know, you, you're kind of like really trying hard to, you know, suppress all your urges and trying to buckle down. You're trying to study. You're trying to go into this regimented, um, daily a routine every day and, uh, and then like you're, you know, someone can be pre- presented with this, um, sort of way of, uh, you know, here, here's an outlet for your aggressions that you have pent up. And then that gets funneled and directed, uh, in, in whatever direction, you know, whatever it happens to be. 
but in that case, it's directed toward the the uh, so-called racists and, and bigots in society and uh, social injustices and all of that, which uh, then can be utilized for whatever uh, goal. But then, you know, the, I, I think that's um, only can be the case unless you have this sort of raw material that you that, that you know that you have access to in the university system you know these these um what what did uh well, like rush limbo i would call them the, the skulls full of mush you know it, which i think i don't know it's probably a bad you know, pejorative there but no i mean though at the same time you know you have an impressionable youth that kind of don't have any real life experience or anything like that. And, and, and they can be, uh, uh, you know, take, taking that, uh, all that additional aggression and have it, have it steered in whatever, whatever way they want to steer it. Well, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty sad. I mean, basically there's, you know, there's no anti-war movement, you know, people aren't, you know, you know, there's, there, there's all kinds of things that are happening. Again, this, you know, total surveillance state, you know, the, uh, you know, the medical manipulation, genetic manipulation, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. I mean, you know, the, the, you know, the absolute criminality of the state, the, you know, the, um, you know, all this stuff is going on, which is very serious. And, you know, at least in the 1960s, they were protesting about something that was actually there that, you know, there was a Vietnam War, you know, but this stuff is, um, you know, people are, they are trapped. They don't know what the hell, they don't know their head from, you know, their ass, excuse my French. And, um, and, and so they're being funneled into this, uh, this, uh, paradigm, which is actually, um, you know, it's part of the print of frustration, but it's also, um, removing any actual type of, um, discourse or protest against real issues. At the same time, they're, they're, they're creating a totalitarian environment and they're serving as the, uh, you know, they're like the red guard. They're like the communist youth coming to your house and burning the books and, you know, locking people up when the Bolsheviks, you know what I mean? That's exactly what they're doing. Um, and they're just, you know, so it's, it's pitiful in a certain way. It's, it's, it's a, it's pitiful. It's, it's disgusting because the arrogance, um, the entitlement, I mean, believe me, the, the young people now too, I mean, a lot of them in universities, they just, they expect everything. And even professors are now treated as customer service agents. You have to good, get, get good ratings from your students. They have to approve of the product. Why? Because they're spending a hundred and something thousand for a useless bachelor's degree, uh, through the whole, you know, bank run debt crisis dead stuff um so you know it's all these things are interplayed there and, and certainly if it, it is an outlet but it's it's very much a constructed outlet that serves you know the multiple purposes and then again they've and then this, this is also um again I, we can maybe talk about this another time but i do think this erotic uh, crystallization inertia um again that levey talks about is is a way of associating clothing styles music and all these things and sort of, you know, he takes this kind of, I don't know if it's a magic approach or a whatever, but he basically talks about crystallizing these, you know, these periods of time and look how the 1960s gets rolled out. Look how uh, the punk rock gets rolled out again. Look how, you know, you probably know people in their 40s and 50s that are still part of the punk rock culture like they were when they were eight, 17 years old. You know what I mean? They still identify. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. I know so, people that are still in the uh, uh, 80s hair metal uh, era. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, I, I, I I was playing with these. 
um, this band, you know, I have to do some commercial music work. And these guys just started, uh, he's like, do you know any Dio? I'm like, no, please. And they started, these guys, these guys are older than me. I'm like, dude, uh, I said, I don't play that music anymore. But I mean, yeah, there's a lot of people just still under the metal, the whole, <laughs> uh, poison rat. Yeah. A <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All those. And, uh, yeah, so erotic uh, crystallization uh, inertia, crystallization inertia, where yeah, you have an association with, um, I guess, these positive associations get built built up in your youth, and they stay. People can stay fixated on that, and then so you're saying they they have like um, it, it's a way to kind of. I, I guess a recharge your batteries or whatever, kind of go back to that time and sort of relive it so that you can function in the modern day. Well, it's also, I mean, this was, you know, I, I'd actually, I'd like to do a little more research on this. I, I, I just, you know, it's in a cloven hoof magazine, which I, I don't subscribe to the church, scene, but, uh, but you know, the idea is in a certain way, it's like a, it's, it's, it's like a magic spell. You're sort of, you're sort of locked into that era. It's, you know what I mean? You're almost, uh, <laughs> you know, you've, um, you've inculcated all this stuff. And then you, so you're sort of trapped at that sort of adolescent, you know, your first sexual experience or your, you know, your sexual awakening, whatever that's, but it's, um, all these, it, it crystal is sort of, um, basically crystallizes a, and cri- keep the in mind the idea of crystallization. It's this, it's a structure of where you're sort of trapped in this, past thing um and again he sees it as a positive thing but in fact you know you're the 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 association the images the music um you know is um remains sort of this uh it's like you're 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 tethered to a pole in your Mm. your mind and you're kind of walking around that you know you're like a donkey who thinks he's going for a walk and you're actually walking around this you know pole that you're tied to and so you you know what i mean so it's sort of like does that make sense? You know, obviously, yeah. I'm metaphorical, but so it's kind of an interesting thing. So you're, you're pulling the the mill wheel to grind the uh, grain. Yeah, or whatever. Exactly. you're grinding <laughs> around, up, around, this, around, grinding the soiling green up. <laughs> soiling green. Yeah. Uh, you no, know, I could. I, I, I kind of get a. I, I definitely see it. I mean, like you know, like I said, I know people that are um, are now. And, and two, you know, I, I know people that will listen to the same, not only the same bands, but the same albums from the same bands from that time and, and just repeatedly over and over and uh, never grow tired of it, I guess, you know, just never gets old, you know, Rat and, uh, you know, Guns and Roses and uh, Kiss and those the, the bands, you know, from from that era. And which is, uh, yeah, there's got to be some kind of deeply embedded psychological uh, th- thing that that you're looking at there. And I mean, it seems pretty pretty potent to have that, uh, you know. And I I went through the same kind of thing. I mean, I was that that was a big thing when I was a teenager. But I I, I don't know why that. I mean, I can't even um, listen to that stuff anymore. I just have no interest in it. And, uh, I, you know, why are some people different in that way? I don't know. Like, uh, 
I guess it's not something that's universally applicable to, to everybody, you know? No, yeah, it, it, yeah, and it depends. I mean, I um, I brought that up because I kind of chanced across it, and I'm going to do some more research. You know, keeping in mind, Anton LaVey certainly was a psychological warfare oper- operative. Um, whether or not he had actual more deeper occult uh, connections, I heard an interview with someone who talked about before founding the Church of Satan, they had like these like weekly gatherings, and one of them was a cannibalism. So they actually they had somehow legally purchased human flesh and ate. Ate human flesh or whatever. It's kind of, kind of weird. But I mean, Anton Lavey is, is put out in the media as this kind of, you know, he doesn't really, it's, it's just kind of a fun thing that you do. And it's a, it's sort of a Nietzschean, you know, individualist, you know, kind of on and ran with the uh, robes and stuff. But, um, I definitely, I will, because this idea of this, it's sort of like a magical spell that's been cast over somebody. And, it, you know, in, in just in a larger sense, um, uh, going back to what we started with, I do feel that there is a certain extent that it has happened to our societies that we are, you know, under this illusion or multiple illusions um, that is like, um, and in fact, the most dominant plane this happens is a plane of consciousness. Um, of course, you have the actual repressive apparatus of the state, but that's not that deployed that much. I mean, it's it's, but it's more. Um, I, you know, and, and again, it is like a magical spell. It's like Sleeping Beauty or the frog that needs to be kissed by the princess, you know, um, in, in that, well, I don't think that's a weird, that's a, of course, a little NLP, uh, aside there, you know, Frogs and the Princess, one of the early NLP books. But mm-hmm. in fact, you know, I think, you know, that again, this image, these, these images that are floating around and then this, you know, this, um, it's like, you know, where people are in trance and I think it's, it's the collective, uh, by and large, a collective mind, um, and then these little junctures of um, generational um, relationship, right? Where you know, where you you get stuck in the '60s, you get stuck in the '70s. There's a lot of a lot of people like that. I remember I knew a lady in India who was a member of Parliament, and she only thing she listened to was the Beatles and like the same four Beatles albums over mm-hmm. and over again. And she'd been listening to that stuff for probably 20 years. And she still still is listening to it. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and a lot of this, again, it's people are, you know, again, I think this idea of the unconsciousness of these processes and procedures should be foregrounded, right? These are, you know what I mean? These are things that people aren't necessarily consciously even aware that they're doing it, but it's kind of, uh, you know, kind of like the Truman show. And, um, I just bring up one, one other thing. Have you guys familiar with this, um, with this children's book? Um, which is a fantastic book, and I, and I think it really represents our society. And, and unfortunately, I just forgot the name of the book. But um, basically, this book is um, this, this boy is like riding around on his bicycle, meeting these neighbors and going through this environment. He's actually in a mind-controlled uh, prison, and all the people he's meeting are actors. And he just keeps circling around this this uh street on his bike and then they they drug him and he wakes up the next day um and it's and it's a pretty interesting uh take on in a certain way um you know what what sort of has happened i think by and large to to the to the society um you guys remember that book i'm talking about it's probably gonna pop in my head um but it hasn't right now you know know uh i don't know i think john uh had to go okay um or, or yeah, he he dropped out. I don't I don't know if he got disconnected or had to go. It's been a couple of minutes. He hadn't called back in, but uh, um, 
Oh, is it a recent book or? No, no, it was written in the seventies. It was written in like 72 or something. Um, and it's, uh, and they made a movie of it too. Um, and I, I just was thinking about it because it's, it, it's exactly like this type of indoctrinated mind control with types of triggers, but you have enough space where you still think you're actually operating your life fully, right? So, I mean, you know what I mean? So somebody going and, you know, not necessarily everybody obviously that goes and listens to a certain type of music or puts on their clothes they wore in the seventies or nineties or whatever is mind controlled, but certain people probably are. Um, you know what I mean? Or they're, they're, they're um, you know, they're kind of, um, they're, they're, they have these unconscious psychic mechanisms that are, that are, that are engaged. You know what I mean? Oh, I, it's called I am the cheese. That's the name of it. I, I am the, the, I am the cheese, you said? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think I've heard of that. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, yeah, I'll send you a picture of the cover. I, I just, um, it, it, it's pretty, it's pretty heavy, man. And I think it, okay, it came out in 77. Um, but it, I think it does connect. See if I can just, I'll send you the image of the cover here on Skype. Um, so yeah, check that out. Um, and, um, let me see here. But yeah, that, that just, um, you know, we kind of went, didn't talk so much about music, but, uh, you know, I, 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 know, I think that, um, you know, these are definitely very interesting points and even the whole media, um, and things like that. Um, you know, this, um, you know, but then, you know, again, a lot of these mechanisms that, that bind us are actually can be, um, freeing, right? If you have, um, you know, I mean, like the music itself is a great way to build a social solidarity, consciousness, awareness, develop your mind, you know, et cetera. And that, that, you know, indicates the, the potency of it by the, um, the amount that it's been, it's been deployed, you know, so to speak, um, on, on the, uh, especially on the youth, right? And, just throwing real quick. I mean, yeah, you, you guys following like you know, all the latest music videos and stuff by the, especially the f- female pop artists, just over the top, man, just horrific mm-hmm. and just, just crazy stuff. And this is, these are mostly like teenage girls and boys that are watching the stuff. And it's so that on that level, you have like a innocuous pop song with like heavy duty, you know, mind control imagery and a cult, whatever stuff. Going yeah, a lot of it's overtly like satanic. Yeah, or tremendously so, and even uh, mind control. Um, you know, you have all the images with um, with um, uh, uh, butterflies. You know, you know, butterfly imagery and mind control imagery, and people with no eyes. And I mean, so it's it's um, it's like you know, again, that's like that idea, the revelation of the method or whatever, where basically. You show people, hey, we're doing this, you know, like something like 9-11 or whatever. You show, you show people, we're doing this, and either even the people that, because it's so obvious that something's not what it's supposed to be, the people that choose to ignore it are actually, um, just as I started out with, they're becoming their own jailers, right? They're not only becoming their own jailers, they work to shut down other people um, when they push against that, right? You get that cognitive dissonance reaction um, to a lot of different issues, so... Um, you know, as, um, yeah. And then it, it is so, I guess it's such a powerful influence. You'll have, you, you'll run into this where, you know, if, if, you know, if you're critical of us, like, you know, if I just got to relating the, you know, this stuff about hair bands and I know people that like hair bands, like, you know, some people might hear this and like, Oh, well, I like that music too. And there's nothing wrong with it. And they kind of take offense. So it's almost like a personal slight against them personally. You know, it's like if you bring up something like that, you know, or, uh, 
So it's like people are, they not only, I mean, I don't feel that way about any band. I don't know. I mean, I, I do enjoy music. I listen to a lot of different types of music, but if like someone comes along and says, <laughs> or that particular artist is stupid or whatever, I, it's like, I, I don't know if that's their, somebody's opinion of it. I don't care, but I've, I've noticed that some people will get like highly offended. Like, you know, if you disparage one, one or if you're, you know, seem to be disparaging any type of particular type of music that they like, you know, or a band or, or, you know, some people are, um, ex- expressing that they're, they're not liking the, you know, punk rock discussion, you know, like, well, this is crazy. This is stupid. You know, and it's like, you know, it, and, and I think, I don't, I don't know what their, um, problem is with it, you know, and it, not giving any specifics, but I would think that it is because, you know, they happen to really like that kind of music. So the idea, anything that's kind of puts it in, in any, any way, a negative light, they're, they're going to react against it, you know? So yeah, gotta, yeah. Um, but then also, you know, this idea of, um, you know, again, if you see something, say something, right? So you become identified um, with the, uh, with the, you know, either with the society itself, I mean, the, the government, um, uh, you know, things or, you know, but also, you know, it's it's like, it, because it's, it's a, you know, if especially it's kind of like there's a scat, I mean, this I'm generalizing, but I think for certain people, um, you know, it does, it is, it is, um, beneath that, there's something there beneath that, that, that they don't necessarily want to, to, to acknowledge. And so they're going to become very aggressive about it. Um, you know, especially when you push them, you know, and, and like people, you know, I mean, I, I tend to be more open-minded. I mean, there's some, you know, some stuff I like, some things I don't. I mean, I have, you know, I have to do a lot of stuff, unfortunately, you know, fortunately, I mean, you know, so I have kind of a variety of different kinds of musical experiences, but there, there certainly is some music. Um, that is very much, uh, destructive, uh, negative that has, you know, that has very, can have very bad, uh, psychological implications. Um, whereas something else may just indicate, um, you know, this, you know, again, this crystallization, right? They're frozen in time in a certain way and then they haven't, you know what I mean? So it, 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 it but it gives you the comfort. It's your comfort zone. You know, you've identified with it. So you know, there's, there's all kinds of different, um, you know, I mean, I guess it would be a case by case basis. I don't really want to like generalize. Like I, you know, I'm reading it. I have the insight into everyone's mind, but you know, I think the more that people, um, you know, the, the emotional reaction, the anger or the discomfort, I think that indicates that there's something that they themselves are, are, um, either a, they're, they want to cover it up. They're, they're, they've aligned themselves with it or B, there's something in their own minds, their own experience that they're kind of trying to, uh, you know, push out of the threshold of awareness because it, it destabilizes their entire identity that they're not even aware that this thing that seems like their entertainment is actually a foundational point of their whole, you know, their identity that they're consciously identified that they see themselves as right. And you push that away. They, you know, you know, eventually they, the individual can transform, develop, uh, grow out of that, but there's going to be a serious period of discomfort. It's kind of like pulling, pulling the rug out. You know what I mean? And it's, you know, it's always kind of like a Stockholm syndrome too, to a certain extent. Um, yeah, it's like really personal and really like a part of like, like people will adopt it as, yeah, part of their identity. So then if you go to, you know, say something about it, then it's like, it's like you're saying something about them personally, as if they themselves are the uh, author of the music or whatever you happen to be, you know, critical of. And that's, I, I just think that's interesting because, uh, 
I, I don't, um, like I said, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't feel that way about anything. I mean, and as far as like, you know, anything in, in, in music goes or anything like that, like if I, you know, hear somebody talking negatively about it, it's going to hurt me, you know, it doesn't hurt me. It's just like, uh, you know, people have their own, you know, subjective opinions and ideas about things and like that's, and they're not me. So, I mean, you know, if they don't enjoy a certain thing, that's like, that, that is, uh, up to them, you know, I don't, you know, but, um, yeah, it is almost sort of like a type of, uh, tribalism or something, you know, where it's like, uh, you know, you, hit, well, well, you see that too with like, um, subcultures and all that. They'll have this, you know, sort of, uh, uh, self-imposed identity where they have, and then they'll also on top of that have, you know, uh, music or something that will be, you know, favored among the group. And then it, it is like part of their ho- whole identity where it's, uh, something beyond just, you know, listening to music for, uh, enjoyment or, as, as a, you know, pastime or something, it's, it's something beyond that. Yeah. But also it's, um, it's, uh, you know, it's a way to, you talked about not growing up, right. Not, um, you know, sort of staying in this, um, you know, you know, people, I think people, even the social justice warriors, I think are aware, um, on a deeper level, something is really wrong. Like something is very out of whack in mm-hmm. our, in the world. Oh, yeah. It's like, there's, you know what I mean? It's, it's, if you, you know, it, and so I think there's an unease there, um, but there's, you know, there's a, there's a personal maturity level, whatever. There's also, um, you know, there's also this, um, you know, there's, again, there's a, a way of just sort of giving yourself comfort in this static state. Um, and then also then that can protect you from all kinds of other things that you don't want to realize, right? If you actually, you know, I mean, I, I think, I think it works actually as a way it, for the whole overall sort of, you know, cultural psyop programming operation that's going on. I think it serves a, a function sort of keeping people comfortable, but they're identified with it and then, you know, et cetera. Um, and then there's all the other elements, you know, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, I, I do have to uh, go myself here. Um, so uh, I don't know if you want to throw in like a last point to uh, wrap up. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to – we'll have to uh, – uh, do some other work so all right months. well yeah uh, you know that's a good uh that was a good discussion um uh i don't uh, i think can't think of anything further to add right now uh it, do you have uh like your your website again is uh it's uh, hansutter.com and then um oh you got hansutter.com too yeah okay. and then, uh, mindcontrolmusic.wordpress.com um, but my CDs are on hansutter.com so certainly appreciate any um, any um, support and there's a lot of other information that I haven't really brought up just because you know <laughs> um, I have you know I can't I can't uh, set fire to the whole house you know I'm that I'm yeah. so, <laughs> so uh, but I appreciate support and uh, you know it's but it, yeah it's been great uh, talking with you guys and um uh, you know, and you know, I definitely like to do it again soon. All right. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. Anytime, man. Um, yeah, it, uh, it, it's always something, uh, that, you, you know, we, we have a session with, there's always like several new things that I'll learn and I always like that, you know, cause, uh, it, you know, it just things to, you know, to further explore and to kind of get better insight on things. And, uh, yeah, you, you always bring that to the table and I appreciate that. Well, great, great. Um, all right. Well, it was, it was a pleasure and, um, 
look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, and then check out that book, man. I, I, I just, uh, it just kind of popped in my head, uh, you know, when I was coming up with these analogies. And so I think it's, it's kind of an interesting, I mean, I read it, you know, when I was a kid or whatever, but I, I remember it being pretty heavy, um, in certain ways, you know, and I, I think it's like, you know, I, it, it's a song, right? The song, I am the cheese stands alone or something like that. So he's, it's like the song itself serves as this, uh, mind control, uh, well, you just yeah, check it out. I, you probably can read it in like ten minutes. I don't know how how good it is, but uh, it's it's certainly an interesting uh, uh, concept. You know that, that sort of um, concretizes to a certain extent. Um, uh, you know some of the issues we've been discussing. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I have to check that out. Was it? Oh, it was also a film adaptation of that as well in nineteen eighty-three. Yeah, have you seen that? Um, I think I did, yeah, on TV. I don't remember being that impressed, but I'll, you know, maybe I'll, it's probably on YouTube or something. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll have to, yeah, I have to look at that. Uh, I'll, I'll probably read the book. Yeah, it's probably not a, like you said, it's not a very long book, so probably a yeah. quick read. Yeah, of course, you'll see cool. it, see how how smart kids were back in 1977. Maybe they're. Yeah, they, you know, they had like textbooks from like the you know early 19th century and like college college students can't even get through like a fifth grade. Oh, I know. I've seen those on, I mean, there's a lot of those posted online and you look at the, it's like an eighth grade test and you're like, Oh my God. I mean, yeah, everything has to be written longhand and you know, you have to, you know, write out a paragraph for every question on the test. Like it's no, no multiple choice or anything like that. And, and, uh, yeah. So it's, uh, So, yeah, obviously people at that point had better memory retention and stuff. So whatever is going on and we're talking about television and we're talking about music and we're talking about other stuff that, you know, everybody sort of takes for granted in the modern day. How how is this diminishing all of us um, mentally, you know, especially when you do those comparisons between those old tests and you're like, my gosh, these were eighth graders. And yeah. like if, beyond what we consider educated people today, like college educated, it's like I, that should be pretty. I think the I think that should be a sort of a wake up call to, to to anybody looking at that. It's like wow, that's pretty profound. Yeah, but also, um, you know, in a certain extent, I mean, this just kind of popped in my head. Um, you know, yeah, sorry. But this, you know, even like the psychedelic drug use, whatever, um, what that's, um, you know, you know, maybe if the society we hadn't been shunted into this, you know, it's basically robbing us, I think, of a of, of reality and a real having to have a full, rich life. Right. And so that's why people crave these things, you know, like. You know, drugs or extreme music. You know, they, they, they extremely loud music. And that's that's for a nervous system that's almost dead, right? It's like you know, it's like you're trying to revive a corpse, you know, by shooting electricity through it because you know we've been societally so dulled. And then I think even our own ability to experience the world around us and our senses and all this stuff has been uh, stripped away. I mean, I'm just a hypothesis. I'm just speculating here. But you know, with things like television and these other types of mediums, so that's probably one of the attractions for this escapism and this idea, you know, trying to get some type of experience, you know what I mean? Trying to feel alive again, because, you know, probably a lot of people are, you know, sort of in a robotic, uh, few, you know, semi dream state most of the time. 
Yeah, I do. I do think that is definitely the case. I mean, it is uh, a lot of times it's really pronounced. I mean, I, you know, just driving around town, um, I can't, I, I, you know, there's like, I, I go check my mail. Sometimes I go to the post office, I check my PO box and, uh, and, uh, I, I don't know. So I got to go through a couple of intersections and it's like, it doesn't, it, it never fails that I'll, I'll come to the intersection, I'll stop. And then somebody has been sitting there and what, before I arrive and, and I'll be sitting there and then they're just still sitting there and I, I, are they waiting for me to go? Or are they going or, or something like that? Or are they, and then you, you got to wonder, okay, are they, I can't really tell they got dark tin. Are they on the phone or are they just kind of in a, in a daze or what's happening? And it's just, it, I used to see that once in a while. Now it's just really common. And then, you know, people will be kind of parked in the middle of the parking lot, just kind of like sitting there. And it's like, well, uh, it, you know, which, which, you know, somebody wants to pull outside or whatever, fine, whatever. I don't, I don't, but you know, like, uh, it, it's just kind of like, just just totally unaware of their surroundings or another people and uh just kind of like well i, I get the impression that people kind of in general now are just out of it you know just out of disconnected they're like like you described earlier like disasso- dis disassociated you know from from their surroundings and from reality like you yeah. know yeah, and, and and the more you know, the more um, disassociated you are, the more you're separated. The more painful it is to number one realize that, and number two to reconnect. Right? So it's, you know, what I mean, it's like uh, it's, yeah. So that that's certainly there. But um, but anyways, uh, um, I want to say thank you guys for your work, and thanks for uh, giving me an opportunity to just kind of just kind of ramble on there and talk about some issues, and you know. And, uh, so it's, uh, you know, appreciate it and hopefully, um, we can, um, connect in the near future. All right. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Uh, thanks Hans. And, uh, you have a good rest of the day, rest of the week. And, uh, hopefully uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right, man. Take care. All the best. Okay. You too. Bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.